411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of World 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your What does sex trafficking look like in your community? It's not there? Are you sure? Hello, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is another edition of the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. We are engaging in a campaign of expanding the conversation and the awareness on human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking. Our topic today is what does sex trafficking look like on the south side of Milwaukee. Joining us, special guests, Deanne Lawson, and she is the founder of Inner Beauty Center. Correct. Welcome to you. Well, thank you for in for being for letting me be a part of absolutely, this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Full disclosure, we have met before yes, and we, we have. have talked before. Yes. And um it, it is my pleasure to have you here joining us. I want to talk about just jump right in because it's only 30 minutes and we could go a long time. Um the Inner Beauty Center. Tell me that backstory of how it came okay. to be. Well, my husband was pastoring a church on 15th and Lincoln, and we started in 2000. We were there for a total of 15 years. But in 2011, um, we, were, we were getting a little bit burnt out, and we were dealing with an issue of women standing on our church steps because it was a convenient corner. There's a bus stop, there was a light, and there was a little overhang so you could be out of the elements. And we did what everybody else told us to do, what society would do, and we told them either get off the streets, we would call the police. And in the summer of 2011, a young lady came into our church and said she wanted to talk to someone. And so I sat down with her, and the first thing she said to me was, God told me if I came in here, you would help me. And and I will be very honest, my first, my, my first thought was, of course, you're a drug addict and we're a church. And then she told me her story. And from there, I, I saw a woman who, um, she had been deceived. She had been brought to Milwaukee from another state. Her friend said, hey, my boyfriend and I have a place in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can come stay with us until you find a job. There's lots of work in Milwaukee. And she was brought to an apartment about a, about a half a block north of our church. Okay. And there were six women sitting on the floor being treated like animals. And she was forced to go out and to sell her body in order to make money for the boyfriend, for the her friend's boyfriend. Boyfriend, yeah. And so when she came in, I could see that she was she was a woman who was definitely in need of, of she needed someone to help her. She was terrorized. She just she kept checking her watch and she's like, I can't, I got to get going. I have to get out there. If, if he can't find me, he's going to beat me up. Wow. And so um, we, I got some information from her. We made arrangements that she would call us that afternoon and we would pick her up. And she said, I only have about 15 minutes. Otherwise he will come looking for me. So sure enough, she called and we picked her up. And as we're driving, I told her, the only place I can take you is to the mental health complex because you have no identification. You're not from Wisconsin. And she goes, that's fine, because if you don't help me, I'm going to kill myself anyway. And so we took her out there and on the drive out there, 
her pimp kept calling her and he would just scream at her and and she was so visibly shooken up and then he he hung up and when he called back I said you don't have to take that call mm-hmm. and she looked at me like you're kidding really I don't yeah and I she can have that power mm-hmm. yeah and so I said you know you're going to get out to the mental health complex they're going to take the phone away so just turn it off and she did. And it was so so that was that was our first exposure mm-hmm. to human trafficking. We and I didn't really call it that. I didn't know what it was. I just knew that this woman was in desperate need of help and we helped her. And from there started our journey, my journey and some other women in the church um, of just learning what human trafficking was. Um, September 15th, 2012, uh-huh. we opened our drop-in center and um, we started it with a self-defense class. And we've been open every every week since. So we started with one day a week. Tuesday, and now we have expanded to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evening. Now, so was it hard to get everybody on board for this? It was a challenge because the uh, there were the church was kind of divided. Some of the people were very um, they were very supportive of it, and other people were like, "No, you're just enabling." And how can you how can you have those? people come into our church, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was, and then, you know, there was another group of people that were actually clientele of the women. And so that was extremely awkward because I knew things about people in our congregation that I really didn't want to know. And so it, it took a lot, but eventually people began to understand and we just talked and educated. And the more we educated, the more people realized that, wait a minute, this isn't a choice. This isn't as, as simple as just getting up and walking away and getting a job and, and walking away from it. It's not that simple. Absolutely. In this time, you've learned a lot. Tremendous. Uh, about the sex trafficking and the trauma and mm-hmm. all the things that go into this, and you've heard a multitude of stories. But tell me, you said you started with the self-defense like once a week, mm-hmm. but you guys are doing so much more now. Well, we do we do outreach um, two to three times a week. We try to be out there every Friday night, and on Friday nights we've partnered with some other organizations that help us to give out some pretty decent lunches. And so we make bag lunches and we hand that out in personal care and 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 seasonal clothing. So right now, you know, it's gloves, hand warmers, hats, scarves, that kind of thing. Jackets. I, and, and I'm gonna stop you right there because I don't want to just skirt over that. Uh, you guys are actually out on the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going, what, you jump in cars or vans, no, loaded up? How do you do this? We we just kind of cruise. Yeah. <laughs> and um and we get to we get you get to know the look of somebody who's out there working. Mm-hmm. And and once in a while we miss, you know, but not too often have the women been offended. They if they live in that neighborhood, they know what goes on. So they're not, they're like, no, 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 but if you go down here. So we just drive around and we we have a number of women that we've had multiple contacts with. Mm-hmm. So they wave us down and or they, you know, wait for us, yell at us. So so we connect with them um, on the streets. But then also we're connecting, we're trying to connect with women who are 
obviously trafficked. And the women who are trafficked are really difficult to connect with because they're being watched. Their their pimp is in the cut. They have somebody always, if it's not, if it's not their trafficker, it's somebody they've hired to watch. Mm -hmm. And so it we have a general rule that if a woman is walking and there's a man nearby, and we can usually tell if they're if he's watching her or if he's with her, we don't even try to make contact. Because we know that puts her in danger and right. it puts us in danger. So we, we're kind of selective about how we make that approach. But if she's alone, we'll try. And sometimes they just blow us off. They go, no, I'm good. I don't need anything. And and we have had some women that we who recognized us. Somebody has told them about us. And so they'll walk by. This actually happened. A woman was walking with her trafficker. He proceeded to go on, and she turned around and went, came back our way. But she went past us a little bit, and when he was out of sight, she quickly came over to us. Oh, wow. So she was more than happy to come and get something to eat because I think uh, sometimes I know they're controlled by how much they can eat, and mm. they can't can't spend any of the money they make. They have quotas they have to turn over. So they're they're very controlled, very restricted. The life is hard. Mm-hmm. You have it now. It's more than one day a week. Right. They so, come in and do different things. Right. So at the drop-in center, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evening from 4 to 7, women can come in and get a meal. They can go through our clothing boutique. Uh, they can access personal care items. Um, and then we build relationship with them. And so as a woman is ready to move out of the life of sexual exploitation, because some women who come in, they're addicted and they have, they had been trafficked in the past. They're not currently being trafficked, but the trauma is there and they feel like this is all they're ever right. going That's to be. That's all I know. Yeah. That's all I know. And so when we, when they are at a place to say, Hey, you talked to me, you said you could help me. What, what are my options? And so then we begin to sit down and we talk about options and and give them places they can contact and whether they have to go through detox first or they can go right to a program. So it it isn't a, like take me now kind of thing, but it is a process. And so we try to connect and help them out. So, so and then sometimes they come, I guess the majority they will come and they don't tell you that they're ready to come out. No, right. Some for, sometimes for a long time. Yeah. So there is one woman, I think the longest that we, we, we attempted to connect with her on the streets for about six months. And once we made a connection, it took about another three months before she began opening up to us. And then, and, and actually now uh, she's been a client. We've been in, we we're still supporting, providing support mm-hmm. to her, emotional support, and once in a while a little bit of financial support. But she has moved from a place of being with a trafficker to getting her education to now having employment and having her own place and and being able to just move forward in life. And so it it is a marvelous thing to be able to see that. But that took probably about three years for it to really get to that place, maybe yeah. even a little longer. Yeah, that's rewarding too to know that you you had a hand in that. And the the initial woman who kind of prompted all of this, 
you really literally saved her life because she was I, going I to think take so. it. I, I think so. Right. She just, she had had enough. She was desperate for help. And, and I do believe that she would have, either she would have been beaten to death by, by the trafficker or um, she would have just killed herself. Right. We had an uh, interesting conversation. You were telling me about the differences uh, that you see. You can kind of tell who's, I don't know, the the pimp status or, you know, how he grooms his, his women because of the way the the ladies look on the mm-hmm. street. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. So we, we began to notice a very distinct difference between the women who are typically on National Avenue mm-hmm. versus the ones on Greenfield. Greenfield has our highest number of contacts, but the the women on Greenfield are typically drug addicted and but the women on National who are being trafficked they're not drug addicted. They're well kept. They have beautiful nails, beautiful hair. They're they're not dressed like Vegas kind of style. They're just dressed. They're just dressed nicely, mm-hmm. and they carry themselves differently. And so you just know, like when we talk to her, and she has her skin is clear, and she's a beautiful smile, and she's so put together. You know, why is she out there at eleven o'clock at night on National Avenue? There's really only one reason. Right. And so she's out there because the traffickers made her be out there and she's making money for him. So a big wow. difference. You can see it. Wow. I Like I said, I say it again, you've learned a lot on this journey mm-hmm. of the yeah. different different women and the things that they bring in there and the fears and the mm-hmm. threats that they undergo. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm Like the women on Greenfield who are drug addicted, who are involved in this. And you were saying many of them have come out from underneath a sex trafficker, right. but just don't know. Right. What, they what don't know. Do. Or, right. Or, or they, they're now, they're now being, tra- their trafficker is somebody different. It's their mm. drug dealer. Mm-hmm. It's maybe just the drug itself. <laughs> so, right. um, but we've, yeah, we've seen a lot of women now who actually are being trafficked by the drug dealer. Because of how they're controlling, how much they they give to them, um, how much you know the the extra additional fees they have to pay, mm-hmm. um, it's just it's it's uh, it's become quite a business. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. if those folks went into legitimate business. Oh my gosh, they could probably yeah do well. Yeah, yeah. Because they have they- business minds. It's just that they've used it in a corrupt way. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Deanne, we're going to take a break, um, but we still have much more to talk about. So if you are watching or listening and you have questions or um, comments, send them our way because we really would like you to be a part of our conversation and we want to see that. But right now we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. The 411 Live, your link to information. And now here's your food for thought. When he said I could have everything I've ever wanted... I didn't expect it to slip through my fingers in a split second. I started out as a girl living a life of happiness with someone I believed I could trust. Then he twisted what I saw into a world of darkness. He took away my innocence, broke me down until I was no longer a human being, sent me into the streets to find date after date, bed after bed, so I could earn the cold hard cash he couldn't wait to spend. People think I'm a lost cause, someone just looking for a good time, when in reality, I'm being trafficked, and they don't know the signs. This is only one example of sex trafficking. Maybe other victims can escape if everyone learns the signs before it's too late. 
For more information, visit the411live.org. Honey, if you look at that phone one more time over dinner, you won't finish your meal. Perfect. It was nasty anyway. What do you think of 41% of all Americans between 13 and 17 years old using Snapchat? Not worried? What if I told you Snapchat is the perfect platform for sex trafficking? He wants my body over Snapchat. What should I do? It's not like the picture is forever. They self-destruct. If you want to do it, I don't see why not. Does it make me look bad, though? He's offering you $100 for a picture. Easy money, girl. Snapchat made the 2016 Dirty Dozen list because of Snapcash and how it encourages sexual exploitation. Your children could be exploited on Snapchat and sex traffickers are monitoring. Are you? For more information, visit the411live.org. Welcome back. We are joined by Deanne Lawson, who is founder of Inner Beauty Center on uh, the south side of Milwaukee. Our topic is, what does sex trafficking look like on the south side of Milwaukee? So we went to an expert to find out. Uh, we were talking about, uh, you mentioned the, the journey of the one woman who now has two jobs and you know, she's doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, you get those, those bright spots, but you have to deal with those, those sad yeah. Thing, the heartbreaking stories as right. well, right? Right. The, that lifestyle is so dangerous, and it's full of violence and aggression. Um, we started, two summers ago, we started a Remember Me tree mm-hmm. at our drop-in center. And it was it was initiated because in the course of three days, uh, there were four people who were murdered on the south side of wow. Milwaukee. Three were women, and we had contact with all three women. In fact, two had been into our drop-in center not too much prior to uh, their their murders. And it really shook us all up, and we thought we have to do something. And so we we set up a Remember Me tree. Mm-hmm. And so we have... Um, now, I have four more women to add to it uh, from the last couple, maybe six, eight weeks. And, but we have a total of 22 women That's whose names so are on sad. that tree. It, it is. And, and a majority of them have died from overdose. There's been um, may, maybe just under half who have been murdered and, and, then, and then overdosed. And there's only one that has passed away from natural causes. Wow. And so when, and at first I was a little hesitant about it, but I thought, no, we have to do this. And uh, about a month ago, there were three, four women standing there looking at the tree. And they were saying, oh, do you remember her? And do, you remember, do you remember this one? And then one of the ladies, she's looking and looking. She goes, hey, you don't have so-and-so's name up here. And I don't see her name up here either. Oh, wow. And so, so I said, we'll put them up there. And and it has become a place where the women it, they really are remembering women that's that are so often just forgotten about mm-hmm. because our society sees them and and I know that's the way it was in our church is that they were kind of refuge <laughs> they were just they were refuse and and they were just from from the gutter and nobody wanted to deal with them and and that was just not the way that we were supposed to be ministering i really feel like god put this mission field on our church steps mm. and so we've we're i'm very serious about that mission field and um 
so that has become part of it is to remember those who have passed away. And sometimes women come in and they have black eyes and they've been beaten up. We, some women come in who have been beaten by a, a, um, a John, a trick, a date, um, and left for dead. And it, now they suffer permanent damage mm-hmm. from that. Uh, not just emotional, but physical damage from it. So that lifestyle is extremely dangerous. Wow. It really is. I would imagine that uh, because you've been out there so long, the women that you have come in contact with who are comfortable with you and they come to your place, they kind of help as far as reaching some of these mm-hmm. other women, mm-hmm. just kind of the word of mouth. Absolutely. You, know, you they, can trust them. They they do that. I remember, this was a few years back, but we were doing outreach and we saw um, three new young ladies. And there was another woman who went by that we have had multiple contacts with. And she saw them turn us down. Like She came back and she says, uh-uh. Girls, you want what she has. She's cool. She, they're okay. You can take inner beauty center is a good place. You can take what they have, and and that just really said a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. And we have come across women who have said we've never met, but they've said, "Hey, somebody told me about you guys," and so they were happy to meet us on the streets. Right. And so that has really laid a very solid foundation for us to to be. I guess, vetted with the women (laughs) on the streets, that that they're not afraid of us. I remember initially that first year we did outreach and we had hot chocolate to hand out. And so we had water in the packets and two ladies went walking by. It was cold that night. And we said, hey, do you want some hot chocolate? And they're like, no, 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 no. And And I thought, something's wrong here. So I held up the packets and I said, marshmallows or no marshmallows? And they looked... And these two women came back, and they were like, yeah, all of the marshmallows. And they were like, we thought you were white witches coming to harm us. Wow. And I'm like, no, we're not out here to harm you, you know. Wow. And that just really blew our mind. Yeah. So, so we've gone from a place where they wouldn't, where the woman would not accept anything from us to a place where they're like waving us down for our mm-hmm. sandwiches, <laughs> you know. So it, we have come a long ways with that the women. That is true. Yeah. Sometimes do they come just to say, I just need a place to sit, maybe mm-hmm. just take a nap, you know, right. just relax for yep. a minute. We have, we, we have a, we're kind of restricted in, in space. So we do have two cots that the women can rest on, but we have another sofa and, and one other one that we can utilize from time to time. But the women do come in and, and they actually sleep like mm. they're snoring sleeping <laughs> <laughs> because when they're sleeping in the drug house or they're sleeping somewhere else, they, you sleep with one eye open Yeah, because otherwise some, somebody's going to assault you. They'll rob from you. They'll take all your items and they come in and they go, somebody stole all my clothes. And mm. that purse you gave me yesterday, they stole that with everything in it. Oh, wow. You know, ID, whatever. So there's no safe place for a lot of the women to put things of value. Yeah. So everything becomes disposable. Dan, how do you fund all this? Well, we we are uh, privately funded. We were also part of a grant um, that Sojourner was managing to provide services for human trafficking victims. Um, that grant has ended, so now mm. we are um, trying to look for other funding sources. 
Um, so, but basically, we are privately funded through individuals, through churches, through some uh, smaller grants, through foundations, and and some not so small. Sometimes we we've seen a little bit of an increase, and so that's been a real blessing to us. So, um, yeah. And in the work, and because it's it's a mission for you, it's a ministry for mm-hmm. you. Um, do other churches just come alongside you, or we do? We have a few churches, and then we just have individuals who have heard about us, mm-hmm. and and those are the volunteers that help operate the drop-in center, or those are the ones that um, they make a meal, bring it in. Um, there's a group of retired nuns that make a meal but once every two months and several of them get together and they each do a part and yeah. then they bring it together and it's such a blessing you know they the women bring it in and they're so excited mm-hmm. about doing this and and so we have just a variety of volunteer spaces um, and then we have some needs for professional uh, volunteers in the area of like grant writing or yeah. um, bookkeeping that sort of thing mm-hmm. so we have as we we grow, we're seeing more and more needs, um, not just for uh, laborers, but also for professional um, help as well. So, What do you think the biggest myths are surrounding sex trafficking that people have? The biggest one, and I hear it all the time, well, why don't they just get up and leave? Mm-hmm. And the truth is they can't. They can't because the trafficker has threatened them to harm family, relatives. They know where their kids go to school. They know where their grandma lives. They often, we have seen traffickers really immerse themselves in their families. And so the families are kind of brought into this, um, well, but he's a nice guy. You should be, you should be thankful you have a man so nice as him. Oh, wow. (laughs) And it's like, Hmm. (laughs) You know, but that's the manipulation and the control that a trafficker will bring into that situation. Mm -hmm. So it's not as easy to get up and walk away. And then if you have one who's been controlling you with addictions, then you have to deal with with becoming the, the addiction. You have to go through detox. For many women, heroin detox is the most terrifying thing to go through. They really, they fear it. Because it is so terrible. Yeah. There are quite a few heroin addicts out there. Yeah, there are. It seems to be, it kind of seems to be more south side. But then I've heard that the heroin has also moved north side. Where Typically, I think it was crack more on the north side, heroin on the south side. Mm -hmm. But that's blending. Yeah. That's blending over. We have just probably just as many heroin addicts as we do crack addicts on the south side. Mm. So it's just addictions have just become rampant. Period. Yeah. Yeah. What are your hopes? Oh, well, you know, you can have this idealistic world that someday this will all be gone. But, you know, I don't think that'll happen in this lifetime. So um, because there will always be addiction and people taking advantage and exploiting individuals um, for whatever labor or sex trafficking. So um, our whole long term, we would like to be able to offer some sort of transitional housing. Uh, we really don't see ourselves being in that front line of the AODA. That's just not who we are. Mm-hmm. But we have a lot of volunteers that would be they would just be excellent at coming alongside of a woman and and helping her with resume building and finding yeah. jobs and learning life skills and that sort of thing. So, um, so that's a long term goal. We're not anywhere near 
being ready for that. Mm-hmm. But so right now that we can just continue to expand our hours and and so expand our support so that we can pay staff. So and that that'll be the biggest thing that we will have lost when the grant when Sojourn when that grant right. ended is that we'll we'll probably no longer have paid staff. So and that includes myself. So we're still kind of in the air on that, but um it it will affect us. So that's tough because yeah. then they would become volunteers and they would be doing as much or right. more work. Right. Right. Yeah. As a volunteer. And, and you know, volunteerism just goes only so far, right. you know, um, eventually you, you want to get a paycheck out of it. <laughs> so so that's one thing that we are really trying to focus on is increasing our support so that we can continue to provide services like this. And and um, and, and it's working in the women's lives. We, we have last year we provided services to 30 women who were victims of human trafficking. And granted, that was because of the the grant that we had, mm-hmm. but uh, we still can we still continue those those relationships even though the grant is gone. We're still continuing, and so as client advocates, we're really a support system to the women, and um, and whatever we can do to help, we will. Yeah, yeah. you can't say, well, my money dried up, so yeah. I can't help you anymore. Yeah, you I mean, we'll we'll give what we can, yeah. but but we have had to tell them, you know, the some of the financial assistance is gone, and so when we are able to secure and help, so always ask, but we, the answer may be no for now. Yeah. You know, so we help in other ways. We have, um, you know, we put out a post on Facebook that we need beds or we need furniture, and we have it. You know, yeah, that's and a blessing. Yeah. It, so we have some some donors out there that give in it gifts in kind that no matter what we need, we just let them know and and it's there. It's done. Yeah. yeah. And it's that is just that's so cool. I, I just think like because some people can't be frontline, mm-hmm. but they want to support it. And so that's and you one need way. those people. We need those people. We can't we can't do it without them. Right. Right. I was thinking about the many stories that you have and you've told us a few. Is there one that, that that one woman you just can't get her out of your mind? Well, there's actually a lot of them. <laughs> so, um, um, over the years, there have been there have been a lot of women, and and um, I think one, and this really kind of speaks to how difficult it is to get out. And she was, I don't believe that she was trafficked, but she was addicted, and so she was out there working in that lifestyle for her addiction. But she would come in and she would say, hey, Miss D, you'll take me to detox today, right? And I'm like, hey, if you're ready, I'll go. I'll take you. And she, okay, I'm just going to go have a cigarette and I'll be right back. And then we wouldn't see her for two weeks. And and she just wasn't ready. And then one night she came in and she's like, she was dope sick. She was sick to her. She was yeah, just dope sick. And she said, tonight, Miss T, can you take me? And the tone of her voice was different. And and I'm like, yeah, I'll take you. I, I take you now, but I can't leave just yet. And took her to detox, and she was able to get into a local program. And now she is three years later. She has her children. She has an apartment. Wow. She has a really good paying job. She and she's had to pay her dues getting back into the mm-hmm. workforce. Um, but she has a great job, and she just bought a, a a new car. And and to her, that was like, 
how does that feel? And she's like, well, I feel like somebody's going to take it away from me. But I'm like, no, you earned that. Yeah. And that's yours. Work hard for it. Yeah. So, I mean, that to see that. And now she's come full circle and she's volunteering with us. And so she now can see the women that she used to be out there with and say, and they can look at her and say, well, if you can do it, I can, I do, can it. do it. Wow. Yeah. So that's been just really encouraging. And that's then, a great story. Yeah, it, it is. And so she, I tell her, I'm like, I tell that story just so you know. <laughs> so and we laugh about that. You know, yeah, I'll be right back. And then two, three weeks later, she finally comes back. So, Deanne, if someone is seeing this or hearing this and they would like to help, mm-hmm. where are you located? How, how can they help you? So we are located at 1300 South Layton Boulevard, which is 27th Street. We lease the fourth floor of, of a building, an office building that Ascension Lutheran Church has. And so um, there is, they can... Um, you can't really drop off donations unless you call first because we are really only there three days a week. Mm-hmm. And I do some office time there. But in order for us to work with clients, we need to have at least two people there. So we have those those three nights a week that we're open. Um, but our website, you can go to our website and you can download a volunteer application form. All the contact information is on there. Um, our address is on the website. We just added a or we'll be adding um, a through PayPal, people can set up reoccurring donations now. And so they can just go in and click on that link and set that up. So if they want to give every month, but they're not good about remembering, they can just set it up. Taking care of Care of for them. Mm-hmm. What is your address? For uh, so the website. E- the website is is um, innerbeautycenter.org. Okay. So, simple. Yeah, very simple. Um, and if you want to send emails, the easiest way to send it is to admin at innerbeautycenter.org. Very so, nice. Yeah. Deanne Lawson, founder of Inner Beauty Center. Thank you for You're coming. Welcome. Thank I, you. I love talking to you. I love the stories that you tell, and um, I really appreciate the work you do. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for another edition of the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. I'm Beverly Taylor. I also want to remind you that we are a nonprofit organization. So if you are so inclined to help us, go to our website, the411live.org, and of course, help us out. If you want to see past episodes, because we have a lot of them now, we're accumulating, we're growing, just go to the Facebook, our YouTube channel, Twitter, uh, iHeartRadio um, podcast, and you can find us there. Again, thank you for joining us. I'm Beverly Taylor, the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Hopefully, you'll join us next time.